0: Hey, if you've been following me long enough, then you know that I am the founder of many mastermind groups, including M1. But what does that actually mean for you? Well, it means that there's a group of over 400 people out there that are are high achievers. They're from all over the world, walking different paths, but they're sharing in the principles and the practices of success, holding each other accountable and urging each other through positive peer pressure to take their life and business to greater heights. I'm so proud of the 75 whole life millionaires that I've created, the lives I've transformed, the people I've helped lose weight, quit smoking, stop drinking and get into the best shape of their life. In fact, I've even helped people meet the love of their life. When you get into a curated group of people that want more out of life, it's so much easier for you to get more out of life. So if you're serious about getting out of your own way and creating a life you're excited about, then get on a call with one of my team members at rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and get started today. My next guest, Tracy O'Malley, is a heartfelt, business-centered, strong, soft, multifaceted woman. You're going to love her story. She takes you on a ride of how she became a very successful businesswoman with lots of streams of income, but at the same time went through some challenging times with her relationship with her father and how the money blueprint actually came to life in her case because she kept on hearing from her father certain sentences that manifested later in a result called multiple streams of income. So I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you and for you enjoying it, let's get to my chat with Tracy. Tracy, welcome to Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. How are you doing today?
1: So good, excited to be here to talk about money and life.
0: I love it, I love it. Let's uh, take our listeners back a little bit, as I like to do, is what did you, growing up, what did you learn uh, about money? And tell us a little bit about your upbringing.
1: Mm, I love this topic because, um, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. And so back in the day when I was born, the men weren't in the labor and delivery room, you know? So, and there was no like reveal parties and things like that back in the day. And so my dad was in the waiting room, chain smoking in the hospital.
0: Oh my God. You're taking us back.
1: Yeah. So after 30 something hours of labor, the doctor comes out and says, Mr. O'Malley, congratulations, you have a daughter. And he put out his cigarette and said, you know what, you can keep her. I don't want her. And he was totally joking. Totally. If you knew my dad, totally joking. However, my four-year-old ears heard that story. And from that moment on, I kind of took on this persona, like, okay, I need to be as close to perfect and as close to what boys do to be um, worthy of acceptance, approval, love, attention. And so from that moment forward, I really paid attention to what men did, specifically sports. I've been a tomboy most of my life. I love sports. By the time I was four years old, I could say the entire lineup of all the Chicago teams, which is where I grew up, um, I watched how men drink and how they operated in business and money. And my dad, since he he wanted a boy, kind of talked to me like I was a little young man. And I remember the messaging very clearly around money and power. And he always said, you make the money, you control the money, and that's where all the power is. And I remember that as a little girl, my little green eyes looking up at him like, okay, noted. And so that's kind of how I always operated. I always have had a work ethic and gritty and make it happen. And then when I got married, I kind of took over things. I was young, I was 21 years old and always have made money. I've lost money. My dad was super tight. He was raised by depression era parents. So he was super conservative with it. Um, There was never enough. It was always like this lack mentality. And so when I did start making it, Um, I was a little rebellious with it. I was more risky than my dad would have been, but I was also very aware. And, you know, I've had this yo-yo effect because there's something in my mind for a long, long time that if I have money, not only do I have power, but I become abusive, which is kind of how my dad was. So I would make it get to a certain point and then kind of like either be rebellious with it, sabotage it a little bit because I don't want to be abusive. Um, So I've worked really hard to break that and break that belief pattern um, because I know when money is in the right hands of the right people, beautiful things can be done with it. And so that's where the last decade or so I've kind of gone with my belief system around money
0: Wow. So first of all, thank you so much for sharing that that beautiful insight, and it's so closely to the work related to the work I do around your money blueprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beliefs are so they're so insidious that even even having an awareness around them doesn't necessarily evacuate them. You're know, like, yeah, okay, I have a scarcity mindset, or yeah, okay, I'm aware of the fact that when I have a lot of money, maybe I there's a part of me that shows up that is aggressive or what have you. Mm-hmm. Because we modeled it, right? The four-year-old little girl wanted to please daddy and wants love from daddy and affection from daddy and respect and for daddy to be proud. So we start to get rewarded for behaviors Mm -hmm. of the things that we think will lead to acceptance and love. And then it becomes who we are in a great extent. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And if we don't, it's one thing to be aware of it, but if we don't repair it, we repeat it. And- You know, I've worked really hard to not just be aware of it. Awareness is just part of it, action is just part of it, but you have to kind of acknowledge the roots of it and pull it up by the roots in order for it to not like spread and infect your entire garden, so to speak.
0: I love that. And I use the metaphor of the eight gardens of our life. So I love oh, the fact I that. Love you, uh, that. <laughs> yeah, I divide my life into eight areas. And I say, you're always going to have weeds in some part of your life. Right. You yep. tend to do your business. You're in really great shape. And then your relationships start to develop some weeds or you're a great, you know, mom or dad, and but you're out of shape. So you kind of try to make sure you weed the garden on a continual basis and make sure it's taken care of. And that's why I say to people, if we can handle the money part of your life, if we can get you to have passive income vehicles, where you have money coming in when you're doing something else like sleeping or sitting on the beach with a pina colada, It means you can also take the time to work on some of your childhood wounds or some of the things in your relationship that are going to take your own personal experience to another level. So tell us a little bit about how you have now um, managed your finances. What do you do with money? What's your relationship with money?
1: I love that you brought up about passive income because one of the really great things about my dad and the thing that, you know, he pounded into my head, so to speak, when I was a little girl, Um, he was a a student of Warren Buffett, right? He Mm. followed him. And I remember my dad always saying, learn how to make money while you sleep. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) You know, it wasn't until his death eight years ago, that that kind of came into play. You know, he had a 12 day cancer diagnosis. And because I was working a corporate job, I couldn't just up and go. Um, I could, but I wouldn't get paid. I was a commissioned employee, made good money. But if I didn't work, I didn't get paid. And I remember when the final day came for my dad, I remember being on the airplane, just praying, like, I never want to be in this position again. And I need to figure out a way, put this opportunity in front of me and I'll make it happen. And so my dad passed away. I got some help because I had some coping mechanism issues with alcohol, food, codependency, anger, you name it. I coped with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that reality of life is too short. What are you going to do with it? Um, Came and whacked me upside the head at the age of 40 years old. So um, I got help. I took my foundation down to, you know... The concrete and that's it. Wiped out everybody and everything in my network and except my kids. That was it. And about six months later, I was introduced to a product line that I didn't even realize was a network marketing company. But I started taking the products within seven days. I was in love with it. I was being headhunted by all these corporate companies in the car industry. I did not want to go back into that industry because it was really toxic for me. And all of a sudden I Googled this company. I was like, Oh God, it's one of those things, right? One of those things where people run from you in the grocery store. (laughs) Like I remember Avon and the Mary Kay ladies early on, not knocking them. It's amazing. But I remember just like, Oh God, please don't try and sell me lipstick. Right. So, you know, but I'd had this really life-changing moment six months earlier, losing my dad. And I was like, well, I love this product. I know how I feel, why not share it and see what happens. And I made the commitment that I was gonna go all in with no social network, the single mom that went to rehab. Yeah, join my team. I'm the epitome of health and wellness, right? Uh I can help you make a million dollars. But you know what, I believed in myself. I believed in the product. I believed that I was equipped and capable to make something happen and I was committed to it. And within two years, I built strong leadership and, um, I only brought in about 82 people, but the compound effect of that and strong leadership development, which is my strength today and always has been, um, those 82 people I was able to generate, um, a downline and an organization of 15,000 people, which generated my first million dollar income in two years, income, not revenue income. And now, you know, eight and a half years later, I have, I still have that organization, except it's up over 110,000 people. You know, I've made probably five or six million in the last eight years in that company and have a thriving coaching business. Um, I do team organizations and leadership, communication and leadership development and culture building. Um, You know, I'm all about the passive income, real estate investing, stocks, options, all of that. Um, I, I remember my dad's lessons very clearly make money while you sleep. That's how that's how we become wealthy and that's how we can take the time to really heal some of those very wounds i mean i could not have done that without the time freedom that gave me the choices to do that and as a single mom my kids are in their 20s today and you know i truly did break the generational patterns of codependency addiction, um, miss money management. Uh, my kids are thriving entrepreneurs and money savers and money investors. And, um, it's really beautiful to see that today that, you know, we do what we're taught, told, and modeled, right? That's why if we don't repair it, we repeat it. Um, and because of the new modeling that I show them today, this looks very different than it could have a decade ago. Um, because that's that's really what had me changing, not only losing my dad, but witnessing my own teenagers start to model my own behavior that wasn't the greatest. Um, you know, our teams, our organizations, and our children do what we do, not what we say to do. So it's time we start walking our talk a little bit more.
0: Boom. I love it. I love it. It's so beautiful. Drop
1: that mic, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you... You can get a lot of value into a, a short period of time. I really appreciate that. I want to I dig into a couple of things you said, if that's okay. Um, I think a lot of people are unaware of the fact that they pain manage um, with various things, like you mentioned, right? With alcohol, drugs, pornography, um, and even in, in things that are accepted socially, like you know, running marathons and, yep. and, and and doing things to get away from the feeling they're having and, and working out and overworking, but it's socially acceptable, you know, stacking your schedule so that you're super mom or super dad and you're the coach of the, the kid's soccer team and you just never have a chance to listen to the, you know, the not enoughness, the conversation of not enoughness. Mm-hmm. So can we talk a little bit about that? inner narrative you might have had with yourself of which ultimately comes from the not enoughness, and then you're coping with whatever you coped with, and then how you came through that?
1: Yeah, I see that a lot. And you know, I had those behaviors, the healthy ones too, and we do justify it. And I think if 2020 taught us anything, and I'm, that's why I'm probably busier than ever, because the whole world was forced to slow down, and we couldn't use some of these even healthier things or things Mm -hmm. we justify to occupy our mind to not be alone with ourselves and thankfully you know i have done that work where like i am fully comfortable being alone with myself today and not mm-hmm. i mean i love exercise i love working i love all the things but i'm mm-hmm. always kind of running it through a filter is like what's my motive here right is my motive To thrive is my motive to avoid is my Mm -hmm. motive to gain significance or certainty or truth or justice. But it takes a level of radical honesty with yourself and divine trust, quite honestly, to Mm -hmm. to know that it's going to work out. It may not look the way that we anticipate it or choose it, but it always works out. And at my age and I'm sure at your age, we've got enough proof. In our lives that when crap goes sideways, it doesn't feel real good when it's happening and it it's kind of disruptive and sometimes leaves some wreckage along the way, but it always works out and when we kind of look back and connect the dots, we we can make sense of it and say, ah, okay, you know, I'm not one of those that say everything happens for a reason necessarily, but everything happens to teach us something and either we choose to use it for something beautiful and amazing and water that garden or we choose the other way to allow us to play small, to be a victim. Um, I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life, growing up with an alcoholic father, an emotionally abandoning mother, sexual assaults, sexual abuse, um, you name it, I've experienced it. And every single one of those things, yes, it has left uh, an imprint on my heart that, that hurt. But I have used every single thing in my life for something beautiful today. Twelve years ago, I couldn't have said that. I was a victim and I was angry. And that's why I used the coping mechanisms that I did. All of them. You name it. I've used all of them. And really allowing myself to look through, look at myself through the eyes of that four-year-old little girl that heard the story. Because that's where it all began. Began Like everything that I've done and every coping mechanism I have comes from a scared four-year-old little girl trying to prove herself all the time. And when I look at her today or when I catch myself in maybe a coping mechanism, when I run it through the filter of what's my motive here, sometimes it is ego. Sometimes it is significance. And instead of taking out the whipping stick on myself, which is what I used to do, and then going into the shame cycle and the coping mechanism cycle... Mm -hmm. I just have a conversation with that beautiful four year old little girl. I keep her picture on my desk right here uh-huh. um, and on my screensaver on my phone for a long, long time to remind me that I just have to help her rebuild a new belief system. And it doesn't matter what happened to her in the past, um, she's the most important child I'm raising. Is her. And I would never speak to a four year old the way that I used to speak to myself. And when I understood the fact that that four year old that's scared is driving this entire bus, and that if I spoke to her with love, compassion, kindness, and grace, that's how things would change. It's how she would learn to trust when I did make a move that was scary for her, that she would lean into it instead of run from it. And it changed everything. And, um, you know, the last year and a half has been the hardest of my life. I've suffered severe loss, severe pain, and the ability to be with myself and with her, um, has allowed me to still hurt. Stuff still hurts. (laughs) I'm not superhuman. Nobody is. Um, but I can really guide myself through that for the greatest good of her, me, and, you know, whoever I'm supposed to touch in this
0: world how did you navigate through the last year and a half what were some of the things that you used in order to because in the past you used certain things and you used different strategies to go through what you went through how did how did that be different
1: you know i i'm a student and integrator of the enneagram which i learned i love it are you a one no
0: well what are you because you said you're a perfectionist before
1: i'm an eight I'm a perfectionist for a different reason. Like, that's what I love about the Enneagram is the motive is what drives it. Yes. Eights, threes, and ones look a lot alike sometimes. Um, But being an eight, um, I'm always kind of on high alert that I'm going to be betrayed or violated. And Mm. so leaning into anyone, um, you know, I couldn't lean into my own parents. So why would I trust anyone? Of course. Um, But I've had to change that narrative and that little girl in me to learn how to trust people. So I have a few people in my life. I have an amazing therapist that I've had since rehab, so almost a decade. She's incredible. She's the one who introduced me to the Enneagram. Um, she thought my I was therapist a therapist.
0: Did too. That's funny. yeah.
1: And now that's what I use for leadership development. It's what helped me build my million-dollar organizations. Um,
0: it's, have you ever it's done really- Human Design? Uh huh. What do you think of the two of those? Because I just got introduced to human design and I'm fascinated by it.
1: I love anything that brings awareness to ourselves. Right. I mean, I love mm-hmm. astrology. I love everything that really allows us a, a deeper look into ourselves. But what I love about the Enneagram and how I believe it's different, I believe it's psychological and spiritual, you know, and and I believe that it really takes us back to that little boy or little girl inside of us that Mm -hmm. disposition that temperament that soul calling that we have and then we're put into an environment where we hear a story or something happens and how that gets expressed changes so what i love about the enneagram it's not focused solely on behaviors and what we do it's but but why we do it
0: right the source yeah
1: the source it's just like the weeds i mean yeah like seriously i could go out and spray gallons of roundup on all my weeds and they would go away temporarily yeah but they come back stronger, faster, and bigger if I don't pull them up by the root. And the Enneagram really helps you get to the root and give you a roadmap and framework that isn't so complicated. And at my age, like the thought of unpacking 40 plus years of my life seemed overwhelming, but the Enneagram makes it really simple. It's not complicated, but it is complex. Um, It's very complex. There's lots of dynamics to it. It's not just a fun test or a party game. Um, but it's a beautiful tool that really can help you navigate your motive for everything. And when I kind of dissect every decision I make, it's rooted in, um, I don't want to be vulnerable. What, not like emotional vulnerable, but like that's why I'm driven to have success. It has right. nothing to do with achievements. It has nothing to do with like no. the accolades or the of girls, I could care less about that. But it's to never have to rely on an, on anybody again. Right. And so knowing that about myself, even navigating the last two years, knowing that that's a hard thing for me, um, we all have a growth pattern too. And when we grow, it's, it's never comfortable. Think about the gym when we're building muscle that hurts mm-hmm. but we do it. Cause the, the reward is so great. And same thing, you know, when we understand where we go in growth on the Enneagram, which is. Mine is compassion, love, and vulnerability, which is hard for me, but I lean into it and I have a very strong circle that in real time now, not just after I have figured it out, um, I lean in and still the hardest thing for me, but it's um, priceless and I could not have navigated as elegantly the last two years as I have um, and without as much growth physically, financially, spiritually, emotionally. Um, not just for myself personally, but all my relationships have thrived because of my willingness to lean into the uncomfortable part of growth.
0: Yeah, well said. And one of the things I like about the Enneagram also is the awareness of that we, we have, you know, our well-adjusted self or our higher self and then there's that lower self or when you're really not playing at a higher level you've been triggered or you know you're something that you feel isn't being met so you go into that little kid or what have you and, and to give yourself permission to go okay I know that I have another part of me that that can handle this in a different way and I've just gone into this mechanism that you know i've maybe learned how to do um where i'm more uh, like you said before i'm 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 a little pity party mm-hmm. instead of going okay hold on a second what does this really mean how can i process through this um and and then go back to the the higher behaviors so i love that what I, else, you, know, you know
1: what else that has allowed me to do like it's helped me for myself but when i'm communicating with other people too I mean, I used to communicate with everybody as though they were an eight and that didn't work so well. Yeah. <laughs> My kids are a two and a seven, which is completely different, but also in friendships or leadership development, when I can get to the source of their motive really quickly, which I'm very, very good at, and they don't even know what I'm doing when I'm doing right. that, Right. but to realize what motivates them. And also in personal relationships, when I know somebody's motive, I don't t- take things personal. It right. feels personal sometimes, I, yes. mean, I can't deny that, yes. but like, I realize that this is about their need for either certainty, significance, or justice. And when I know that it, it isn't personal, Right. It isn't personal, but, and, and when we are coming from a place where we know it's not personal, we can be our very best support for those that we lead and that we love.
0: Yeah. Which is it? number five? That's the big justice person. Which one is it?
1: Um, The eights, eights, nines and ones are about justice and truth. Um, Honestly, like the eights are all about uh, justice and protection. The nines are about justice for the collective and the environment. And ones are like I call them the sheriffs. Um, They're the integrity police. And um, yeah, the standards. Um, You guys make us up level, which is amazing. And um, it's beautiful.
0: And it can also create some separation. At least that's my experience because people are like, dude, like chill. Okay. We don't have to work out every day. Don't make me feel guilty. So then there's some shame that goes with it too. Cause I'm not like, step up, come on, let's go. And people are like, yeah, well, they don't
1: think they can live up to your expectations. My son has a very strong one wing, like very strong like he almost fought me he's like I think I'm a one I'm like you're not but your one wing is extremely strong and it's because he like his standards are so high this house runs like a tight ship thank god (laughs) so I'm, I'm appreciative of those gifts
0: so let's um let's shift gears a little bit and uh for the listeners I just want to um have them really Maybe do the Enneagram if you haven't because it's a fascinating tool for uncovering what is the source of your behavior, like Tracy has pointed out. And then also take a look at how Tracy's um, experience in her relationship with her father has manifested into her actually creating uh, a financial uh, well-being because she heard a lot, like make money while you sleep, make money while you sleep. So what did you hear as a child? And then that's likely very likely playing out in your life right now and you may need to change that channel if it's not where you want it to be all right so um normally i stop the show around now but i'm going to go a little extra because you're just so delicious (laughs) thank Um, you i want to talk about relationships because that's where most of the pain comes from and as um, a tom girl and a girl that has a lot of masculine energy, the ability to make things happen and direct and uh, make decisions. Sometimes you can, you can attract, um, feminine men, or you'll push away, uh, the stronger men. So I want to, I want to ask you about that conversation. Hmm.
1: Juicy question. Mm -hmm. You know, I've really had to look back at that. Um, I was married for 14 years, I married the opposite of my father. I married somebody that I could control. He wasn't necessarily feminine, but he was like, so he's a lot like my daughter, very free spirited, like whatever. So it allowed me to do what I do best. And that was control and take charge um, until it didn't work for me anymore. And I became resentful of it. Right. Yes. Um, You know, it always takes two to have a breakdown in any relationship, even when somebody does something that's kind of crappy. Um, it definitely took two. And I am mask I was the queen of emasculation for many, many years. I own that. It's not something I'm really proud of, but again, I'm looking at the four-year-old who felt yep. she had to be that to be worthy. You were trained, of love.
0: For, it. You were trained for it.
1: I was conditioned and in conditioning is no joke. And to recondition that. And, and when I looked at the two relationships after my marriage, one was just, the last relationship I had was just like my father. Um, and when I saw my need to please and um, kind of become whatever that person needed me to be, like I did for my dad, it was very eye-opening. And so I didn't date for about seven years, quite honestly. I really needed to recondition the belief system. However, that being said, I can have all the insight and knowledge you know, it's like playing, you know, the movie Rudy. Like you can play in the practice squad all day long, but where the rubber meets the road is when you get dropped into the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. And the only way to play in the Super Bowl is to get in the game. Yeah. And so I started dating about a year ago for the first time. And it's very interesting. Like I'm very much in my feminine a lot now. Mm-hmm. Um, I can pull that, I call it the F U card you know, in my masculine energy when required, but I don't live in that fight or flight all the time. It's in, it's in me and it's never going away. And as an Enneagram eight, that's always there. My intensity is my superpower, Mm -hmm. but can also be my wrecking ball if I'm not careful. And so really navigating my motive and especially in relationships and with men, you know, I'm dating an amazing person who, you know, has his own stuff and, I see very clearly how I can help, but that would have me slipping into an old pattern. And I I refuse to do that. And when we do that, we rob other people of their own process. Mm -hmm. And it is not my job to play God or any divine power. Um, I am here to be on my journey and compliment his journey, hopefully, and kind of navigate that. It's still really, really hard. It's the most vulnerable thing I've ever done, being completely feminine mm-hmm. in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I can pull it out, but it's a whole new set of things. It's one thing to work the muscle, but, like, be in the game when when it really matters, Um, that's where all the juicy parts come, but it's also very scary for that little girl in me. And because I've flexed all like, you know, like you said about the garden, all the different components, like my muscles in my health department, my business department, my parenting department, my friendship department, super strong. It's like muscle memory, but in the intimacy and romantic partnership, it's like I'm getting in the gym, so to speak for the first time and watering that garden for the first time all over again with new perspective, new tools, and it's beautiful and scary and vulnerable. And I've never quite honestly been more proud of myself in the way that I'm navigating it, but I wake up scared about it every day because um, it's the most vulnerable I've ever been, for sure.
0: Yeah, well, well said. Um, I, you know, The little girl is, you've succeeded in controlling so many things and making things happen to protect the little girl from the not enoughness conversation we all have and so then to go into a relationship where you give up control and you allow another person to enter into that space is very scary
1: you know something that i have um, helped other people really kind of visualize like i'm a visual person and i think that you know when we go to protection mode i want you to imagine a little boy or a little girl And, you know, and the first immediate response when danger strikes is to whip that child behind us and, like, be mama or daddy bear, right? And that works for the short term. Right. It does protect that child. No problem. But what happens when we throw that child behind us is they know that there's danger, but they really don't know what they're afraid of. And so then they become afraid of everything. And so really, instead of like playing in protection mode all the time, I almost visualize bringing that beautiful little girl up on my lap and saying, listen, this is what's in front of us. I know this is what you're afraid of. This is why we don't have to be afraid. We're going to navigate this together. And what happens is, is it builds confidence, um, that we don't have to run scared all the time. Um, but that visual for me was very powerful because my whole life I've been protective of that little girl, but in being protective, sometimes we rob them of building their confidence, our own confidence, our own kind of legs to stand on. And when I look at that little girl in me, not just as her protector, but a, her, my partner, Like we're partners and the more that people feel in partnership, whether it's the inner child or your business partners or your children or your romantic partner or your friendships, the more we feel in partnership, the more that we can really make the impact in anything that we do more effective and more beautiful and more enjoyable. And so that's kind of what I have, like my little four-year-old is my partner, little T and me, we can conquer the world in a beautiful way.
0: You're listening to Tracy O'Malley dropping bombs today <laughs> on uh, Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. We've taken it down a little bit of a different path. But one of the things I have learned, and I, I love that metaphor of bringing her on the lap because I learned that thoughts are in your head and emotions stay in your body. And so the work that I did that allowed me to finally get to a place of, um, you know, we talk about loving yourself. Uh, I, I, I like the, the, the term remembering myself right remembering the love the pure love and and sitting with and saying like there's an exercise you can do holding different parts of your chest or body and just saying you know sometimes I feel like I'm not enough sometimes I feel like um, I'm gonna be alone and when you do that and you do it properly there's some methods um, you can actually you'll start crying I start crying Mm -hmm. and I do it still after yoga Mm -hmm. uh, when my body and mind are fused and I put a towel over my head while I'm doing Shavasana and I just cry mm-hmm. and, then, and then it eventually it turns into laughter mm-hmm. because you start to realize that it's just all made up but unless you let it go physically from your body what I found is that you're just you're fighting it. it it's like you said it's like not pulling the weed out it's allowing this weed to go you know what weeds don't grow in this part of the world they grow over there in that pasture And then the weed goes over and leaves. So that's been my experience. Have you had any kind of physical stuff you've done like that that have released it and you felt different?
1: Oh my gosh, I love that you asked this question because it's a powerful part of my story. Um, You know, I've always been very insightful. Even as a little girl, as a nine-year-old, I was very aware that all this pain was going to be used for something. Mm. And I, I could always cognitively understand why things were the way they were. And I think I almost like, gave people free passes a lot of time because i could understand it like i could look at their history and it made sense but unless we take what we know and bring it together with the feelings about it like yes i can understand it and it still hurts a lot and and it wasn't until i was able to bring the two together and i i honestly had a really hard time with that until my health started to decline. And about three years ago, I was planning my own funeral because it does live in our body. Our body never forgets. And even today, like I, I, when I'm coaching people, I'm like, listen, I know you've done a lot of work around this, but you're going back to an old environment. And even though you might be totally okay, I want you to be very aware of what your body is telling you. And because I have had that experience where my body was breaking down because it was trapped in there. Um, It really allowed me to see the power of somatic therapy and movement. And, you know, every day that I move my body, it isn't for an aesthetic thing. It's for energy movement. And sometimes I need to stomp my feet or whip the crap out of things because I have anger that's trapped. Sometimes I need to feel sadness. Sometimes I need to feel happy. And like last week, I went snowboarding because I needed my little girl to play her face off. Mm -hmm. Um, But in releasing that energy, that's where our health thrives. Quite honestly, Um, we don't get caught in that stinking thinking as much the flow really can move. Um, But understanding the power of emotions. And, you know, Louise Hay is like the queen of the body never lies. Yeah, And, um, you know, being very, very aware that before my, like the our thinking is the last thing to be aware. Like our body knows first, our gut and our heart knows second. And then our brain is the last to know. So if I'm only operating from my brain, I'm doing myself a disservice. So. You're
0: dead. You're dead.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. So I always kind of like check in with my body first. I always either feel it in my throat, my gut, my heart. I throw off a lot of heat. So if I feel heat, it's something very powerful. And where I really saw this come to play, you'll love this story. It was about three years ago, I was doing a retreat with some women and I was facilitating it. And I took them up to the middle of nowhere up in Prescott, Arizona. And there was six of them. And we were a part in a part of the um, retreat where we were just kind of having general conversation. It was very light, laughing, no big deal, but I am so in tune with my body. All of a sudden I could feel heat coming up and my heart race. And I even like kind of was looking around and I said to the ladies, I said, what's going on? And they're like, what? We're just laughing. Like, what is happening? I'm like, no, something's going on. And 15 seconds later, two campgrounds over, a drunken fight broke out. And that is what I grew up with that kind of scene. And so it it more reinforced like our body, our body can remember things, even if we've done a lot of the work, Um, being very mindful that the minute our body feels that it goes into fight or flight and finding practices like yoga has saved my life meditation. Um, movement, honoring the movement. Um, my form of meditation every day is like, to God or the divine, please guide me to whatever movement that I need to do today so that I can release whatever doesn't serve me, my calling that you have on my life for the greatest good. And sometimes it is like anger management and getting it all out. And sometimes it is just nurturing and and water or yoga or whatever it is, but really listening to your body first, that is your main compass before your brain and even your heart takes over.
0: Well said. Thank you so much for joining us here on rock your money, rock your life podcast and taking us deep today, Tracy. I really, really appreciate your authenticity and vulnerability and the depth because so many people need to hear this message I start with helping people with their money for the reason we talked about is so we can get to conversations like this is just because if people don't have that certainty and they're not sure about how they're going to pay the bills and put food on the table, it's hard to talk to them about healing their childhood wounds. But once we kind of get that handled, create that passive income, get them having a little bit more time freedom, we can get the rich conversations like we did today. So how can people get in touch with you, follow you, learn from you? There's a few
1: different ways. You can go to my website, tracyomalley.com. Um, there's information there. You can find me on Instagram, tracy underscore O'Malley, LinkedIn, Facebook, all
0: the things. Okay, fantastic. That's wonderful. So we'll have all those also in the show notes. And if you like this podcast, make sure you subscribe and you tell your friends about it. We're going to continue to have great conversations with amazing people like Tracy. So Tracy, parting words to um, to my listeners.
1: You know what? Find a way to give yourself freedom and choices. Find a way to have multiple streams of income so that you can exhale and do this work that changes your legacy, not just in your bank account, but in the generations that follow you. That is the greatest legacy I am leaving behind is the breakage of the generational patterns that kept so many of my family members in pain. Um, physically, financially, spiritually, and emotionally. And that is the greatest thing I've ever done. And I could never have done it without the time freedom that multiple streams of income have provided me. Um, It's a game changer and it isn't just nice to have, it's it's a necessity really for full healing all across the board and for generations that follow you.
0: Well, we're going to have you back on the podcast <laughs> sure to get an update on how you continue to, you know, adapt and, um, and continue to thrive in the world and impact people. Thank you so much for being on rock your money, rock your life podcast. We'll see the rest of you on the next episode.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So that's it for today's episode of rock your money, rock your life, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.